0: Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you will do well. Even the demons will believe, and shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Well, amen. Today we're in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. That's what was just read, uh, so capably, by the Boyettes. Appreciate that. And uh, just by way of introduction, you want to have a dynamic introduction, and this is not one, so I really need you to pay attention. But this, this passage is the central idea of James. If you want to sum James up into one short part, this is it. So, it's of utmost importance that we, we get a hold of this. Uh, it, is, it is, as I said, the central theme of everything else that, that comes after that. So, uh, I, I, I want you to catch it. But, something I want you to understand that this text does for us it gives us a test, an objective standard by which we can figure out are we saved or not. People are always asking, how do I know for sure? Well, James tells you right here. James lets us know that there is a way to know. Some people have a, a a doubt when they don't need it. I mean, they are saved, but they have a doubt. There are other people who are walking around thinking they're saved, and they're not, and they are assured that they are saved, but they are not <laughs> saved at all. And James gives us a standard by which we can see that, and and... I would say at this point, uh, that I believe that standard is for you to apply to yourself, not to apply to your husband or wife or neighbor. You need to think about that for yourself. And uh, I, I want to further explore that and say something about that uh, a little bit uh, later on. But th- there is always a, a, an action when faith is present. My mom, when I was a kid, man, she said this to me once, she said it a thousand times. She said, actions speak louder than words, because I would say something, but of course she knew I didn't mean it, and uh, you know, she would say, your actions will speak louder than your words. You've probably heard that if you uh, have been alive very long. Paul wrote in the book of Romans that the just shall live by faith. He got that out of the Old Testament. It's the teaching of God, and some people can't reconcile James uh, as a, a book of action with Faith that is a belief. But James and Paul literally are standing back to back on the same doctrine, fighting the enemy. One is saying you've got to have genuine trust in God. And the other one was saying, and if you have that genuine trust that God alone will save you, then the result will be actions that can be seen. And if you don't have those actions, I said I was going to go further into it later, I'm going to go further into it right now. If those actions are not seen, you have no assurance of your salvation. And when someone is actually willfully committing sin, the way that you approach that, whether it be yourself or someone that God leads you to pray for and try to help, is this. You have no assurance of your salvation as long as you continue in that sin. The Christian, when confronted with a sin, will repent, turn away from his sin and towards God. You say, I don't believe that. Well, I'm going to give you another verse. And I would say that the lost man will just keep walking away from God. It's 1 John 2, uh, chapter 2 and verse 19. John says there, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You say, man, that's harsh. I agree, but I didn't write it. I'm just reading you what God said. And, and our faith has to result in action. Now, I don't want to give you a meter. Okay, well, how much action shows that I'm saved? That's why I said you need to judge yourself, not everybody else. God will help you with that. I grew up in Charleston, and uh, I, I've told many people this. I'll tell everybody if I haven't said it before. Uh, as a kid, my, my house was an empty lot away from the the fence that separated all the rest of us from the naval base in Charleston. And when I was a small child, we didn't have air conditioner, and so in the summer, the windows were open, and I would lay there, and as hot as all get out, and I could lay there and see the lights of the mast of ships going down or up the Cooper River, uh, back and forth up and down that, that river. And so I grew up there, and way up that river is a, is a naval base, that has submarines in it. And, uh, brother, you can't get in there. Those were nuke subs with nuclear warheads, 16 to a sub. Each one had more firepower than all the firepower, World Wars I and II combined, including two bombs that we dropped on Japan. And one sub hidden out there in the ocean somewhere could take out 16 major cities anywhere in the world. Amazing weapons of war. And we had a saying that you probably heard, even though, you know, Charleston's historical about submarines. The very first submarine sunk was sunk there. Uh, during the war of, well, yeah, I'll I'll stop myself there. The late unpleasantness is what they would say. Um, And and, and then we had those nuclear subs, and so we had a saying that was very common. That's about as useful as a screen door on a submarine. I'm notorious for playing songs for you, so we're going to play one right now. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine Faith without works, baby It just ain't happening One is your left, two, one One is your right It'll take two strong arms mm-hmm. to hold on tight Some folks have cut off the nose Just despite their face I think you need some much to show For your alleged fate Well, there's a difference, you know Between having faith play and playing make-believe just make you, you sleep, sleep. Talk, talk about it, that I really think you want to take a leap off of the ship dream before you claim to walk on water. Faith without words, up. like a song you, you can't from. sing It's about as useless as a scream door on a submarine Faith comes from God, from every word that he frees so He Let you take it through your heart so you can give it hands and feet you gotta be active, it's gonna be alive You gotta put it into practice <laughs> Otherwise, survival about to use this as a screen door no But so it's a reason, baby, that works, baby It just ain't happening, A song you can't sing. It's about as a door on a that's Rich Mullins, and rich uh, is now in heaven he died in the in the early 90s and I would just tell you uh, so that you won't misjudge him uh, I, I was privileged to grow up in the very early days of of contemporary Christian music. We called it Jesus music back then. We were all a bunch of Jesus freaks, Jesus people. And uh, Rich uh, Mullins uh, gave up all of his money and lived on a Navajo reservation to teach Bible to Native Americans. And he would go out and still do concerts, wrote great songs. And I'd look him up, buy his albums on iTunes or wherever you buy albums, uh, and listen to him because his words are good. He lived that song. Today I call this sermon, If You Are Saved and You Know It. Y'all remember that song? If You're Saved and You Know It. Clap your hands. Y'all know that? Yeah, well, well, thank you. Um, And I'll quit singing so you won't be tortured. But there's a line that says, If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. That's what this theme is about today. That's the phrase I want you to take home with you today. I want you to look here closely at these verses so you can really grasp what he's saying. First of all, The first section, three or four verses here, is about pointless talking. I can say a lot of things, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has a reality in my life. And so in verse 14, James asks a question that we call a rhetorical question, but it would be good for you to answer it so you understand the answer. The answer is no. I'll go ahead and give it away. But here's the question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can... Faith, save him. And the answer is no. Now, there's a great doctrine in Christianity. We believe salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what brings salvation into our life. That God gives grace. He wakens us up to exercise our faith to grab hold of that grace. And Christ's death on the cross paid that price so that the Holy Spirit can do that work in our life and bring Christ into our life and bring salvation to us. James goes on from that and says, but if that's the end of it, that's not faith. Faith always has an action with it. As I said, Paul and James stand back-to-back fighting this, and the result of salvation is action. Salvation by grace through faith alone is never alone. It may be alone and given us salvation, but once grace and faith comes into your life, it has a result in your life. You start living differently. The Bible is so drastic, it says this, if any man be a, a, in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. Paul in in Romans says that we should be dead to sins and alive to God. In other words, we are dead to our old life and alive to God. And, And what James is saying, if you're not dead to your old life, if you're not living a life for God, it means you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what he is saying here. Some people think that you can work your way to heaven. And by some, I mean everybody that does not follow Christianity. Anybody that has religion that is not the Christian religion believes that they can work their way to heaven. That is why they're active. They have things you got to do, procedures you have to go through. And, And some Baptists believe that, too. They believe if they come to church, they don't, you know, kick the dog and yell at their wife. If they give their money, show up to church, open their Bible, pray occasionally, they're okay. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Just because you do certain things does not mean you're saved. Salvation comes when you literally put your faith, your trust in Christ alone to bring that salvation to you, and when that happens, it changes your life. And James says, if you say you're saved, but there's no changed life, can just saying, Jesus save me, but nothing ever happens, does saying that help you, save you? And he says, no, it doesn't. There is no way that just saying words, in fact, the church has kind of, morphed, I want to use that word, from the time I was a kid till today. Because when, when I was a kid, man, we, there's one thing that's been confusing me. My nephew wrote a long uh, post on Facebook about this. I don't have Facebook anymore, but uh, somebody showed it to me. About the end times. Man, when I was in the 70s, how many of y'all remember the 70s? Okay, well, that's most of us in here, a lot of us. Well, if you remember the 70s and you were a Christian, man, everybody's talking about Jesus coming back. We thought it was going to happen in the next minute. And today, we got a ton more signs that it's getting closer and closer and closer, and you don't hear people about it, including for me. Why is that? What is going on? Might be because we're not living with the understanding that Christ could come back at any moment, that, that, that our salvation involves more than just saying a prayer. But from that, man, we used to get, talk to people. We wanted them to be saved. And we'd say, if you just pray this prayer, you'll be saved. And there are a lot of people, those are the ones I was talking about, they think they're saved because they said a prayer, but they had no intention of ever obeying what God told them to do in the Scripture. And I'm not saying not to get somebody to pray. Man, if somebody wants to pray to ask Christ in their life, I'm with you, let's pray. But the fact is that they need to understand what that means. You don't just say, hey, God, save me. Thanks a lot, now leave me alone till till I die and I need you to take me to heaven. When you ask God to save you, He will save you, but He's going to take over your life as a result of that. And that's what James is saying. When God takes over your life, something's got to give. The Creator God of the universe can't come live inside of you and nothing ever change. And nothing ever happen. You see, here's how James illustrates it. He says... You have a brother or sister, and they're poorly clothed, or they lack daily food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled. Did that do any good? No, that didn't do them any good. It says, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It has no life. It can do nothing on its own. Talk without action is empty and cheap. You see, if it does not, if faith does not save, it does not serve. Those who are saved serve; they serve God, and they serve God by recognizing need around them and serving people. We serve God in worship, but we serve man in service and and in and in uh, compassion and. And help. I, the book, Pilgrim's Progress, I don't know if you ever read it. And you may have heard of it, I'm sure you have. In that book is a, a character, Christian, who is walking from the world to the celestial city. And, and the way Paul Bunyan wrote that, he, he wrote it just kind of weaving, as, as he, this guy is finding his way to the ultimate destination, he runs into all kinds of Christians we still run into today. And one he ran into was talkative. And here's what Christian said about talkative. He had faith in his tongue, but not in his life. He talked a lot, but it didn't result in anything happening. He said his religion was only in. Salvation is way more than just having a belief in a creed or saying a particular words in a particular order. Here's an example in the Bible. Everybody, You learn this story when you're a kid. And then I I was thinking about that. I I haven't heard anybody talk about that in an adult Sunday school class, maybe in my whole life. And it's this story. There are four men. They had a friend. He couldn't walk. Everybody's going to Jesus and getting healed. They knew if their friend got to Jesus, he could get healed. Well, he can't walk there himself. So the four guys, they grab his bedroll, roll it up, however they did it. And they carry him on down there. But the crowd's so big, they can't get through the crowd. Nobody's getting out of their way. So what are we going to do? They said, hey, let's get on the roof and just drop him. And so they climb up on the roof and they had thatch roofs, they had grass roofs. It's not like, man, when I heard that story as a kid, I thought they had like a sawzall and t- you know, tearing up tiles and shingles and cutting through. And they just tore up some of that grass, tied some ropes around the corners and lowered him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus went, whoa. And Jesus talked about their faith, not his faith. Because they had actions that said, we believe Jesus can save this guy and we'll do whatever it takes to get him to jesus where are the torn up roofs in your life where you're going to get people for jesus that's a hard question it's a question i don't like asking for myself i i want you to ask it for yourself can anybody see your faith james gives us some powerful examples i i love the first one he says he starts there in in uh, verse 18 someone will say you have faith and i have works Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, you can say you believe, but can you put your money where your mouth is? If you're from the western part of this country, maybe you've heard this expression. Well, he's got a big 10-gallon hat, but let's see if he has any cattle on the ranch. I'm not from Texas. I'm from the coast. I like boots. I like to wear cowboy boots. I like to wear roper boots. I, I did cowboy hats, but God gave me a funny-looking head. See? You can see. that's a funny-looking head. And cowboy hats don't look good on me, so I don't have one. But I could get a big old silver buckle and a cowboy hat and some boots and my Wranglers, and I still wouldn't be a cowboy. And I can guarantee you I wouldn't have any cattle on the ranch. I can dress up like it, but I wouldn't have the results of it. And I can dress up to come to church and look like everybody else but not have anything in my life that points to the fact that I'm a Christian, that I'm saved, that I'm a believer. And so he says, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he says this, you believe that God is one. This is the touchstone of all that the Jewish people believe. This is the ultimate thing that they say all the time. It's it's written on everyone's door they put it on a piece of paper, and they wear it on their head, they wear it on their wrist, they wear it inside their shirt, and it is this, hero Israel, Yahweh is one God. Now, we understand God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. They struggle with that, but that is all through the Bible. But we believe that God is one, and it's a way of saying, I believe there is only one God, and His name is Jehovah. His name is not Allah, His name is not Buddha, His name is not any, anything else or anybody else that you might want to name, make up a name. The only one who is God is Yahweh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The three in one are God. He says, you do good if you believe that. But the demons also believe that. And the demons believe it more than you do because they tremble. Because demons have no hope of salvation. They have no opportunity for salvation. God did not do anything to rescue the fallen angels. He let them fall, condemned them to hell, cast them out, and he says, that's it. I'm done with them. One day when I make the lake of fire, they'll go there. Right now they are held captive. Uh, They are captive to to sin. And they, uh, they just go around this world troubling us wanting us to fall. So that's why Satan met Adam and Eve in the garden and says, Huh, God's going to make this little puny creature. I'll go get him messed up, and then I'll fool God's plan. He didn't know God's plan all along was to come and die for us puny creatures so that we could be saved, and that's why it says, And in the end of time, after he's made everything, we will rule with him over angels. Over what angels? Fallen angels. We'll rule over all creation under Christ, but over every other created being. And demons believe in God, but they tremble because they know their, their destination. They know they have no hope of salvation. They know God did nothing for them. And that's why Satan's so mad at us, because God picked us. We're God's favorite children. Do you know that? <laughs> he made angels. He made a bunch of animals, but he only died for human beings. And that makes us different. That makes us unique. That doesn't mean we're mean to anybody else. That mean we're mean to anything else. But it does mean, and you got to understand, we are humans and Jesus became a human to die for us. So that we could be saved. And when you understand that, you'll say, man, how can I ever thank him for such a marvelous gift? There is no way that I could ever pay him back. Dead faith is a demonic faith. Faith without works is as good as a demon. I don't know how much you've ever witnessed. I've witnessed some in my life. Don't do it right now as much I ought to. I need to. need a kick in the backside to get that going better. But I've heard a thousand times people say, "Well, I believe in God," and I just say, "Well, congratulations. So do demons. You're as good as a demon so far. What's the difference?" When God saves us, we change. We are different. We, we hear Him. He brings conviction to our life when we do sin and we turn away from sin and to Him. And we want to follow Him. We want to obey Him. I'm not saying anybody's perfect. I'm saying that God recognizes our faith when we will act on it. Let me give you a common illustration before we look at the last two that James gives us. And, and this story is true. I'm not probably not going to tell it the way the true story actually happened, but the basics are true. But one time, this tightrope walker, famous tightrope walker, they put a, a cable across two skyscrapers in New York City, and he walked across it, and the crowd's watching, and they're, you know, ooh and on. He's probably put on a little show, act like, like he's going to fall, whatever. So then he got a wheelbarrow, and he pushed a wheelbarrow across that. Then he called out and said, Do you believe I could put a person in a wheelbarrow and push them across? And the crowd cheered, Yes! He said, Do I have a volunteer? It's easy to say. It's another thing to act. We say we trust God. We believe God. We know God. But we don't act like we do. We won't truly sit in the wheelbarrow and let him walk us across the tightrope. Because we make God like us, that he might fail. He possibly could fail. James goes on to give us two great illustrations in Abraham and in Rahab. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? I mean, James is very mean here. James is not pulling back punches. We translate this in English, sounds kind of nice. And in fact, I came up with so many different illustrations, like, can't really do that in church. And yet it's in the Bible. He goes, you idiot, you foolish person, do you need me to tell you more? Yeah, okay. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That was God's promise. I'm going to give you a son. He gave him a son, named him Isaac. 19 years later, roughly 19, 20 years later, from the time God said, Sarah's going to have a baby within a year, about 20 years later, God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac up on that mountain, stick a knife in him, offer him a sacrifice for me. Abraham doesn't hesitate, he doesn't flinch, he says, let's go. They're walking, now, I'll go ahead and tell you the end of the story. He doesn't do it, because God would never ask you to kill somebody. And he was letting Abraham exercise his faith, and Hebrews 11 tells us that what was in the mind and heart of Abraham when he did that, it it says there that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, even if he killed him. Because that is the son of promise, there's nothing I can do, it's going to stop God's work from happening. And if God wants me to do that, I don't know why, but we'll go do it. And it was a three days journey from where they were to there. And then, interesting, Jesus died. Three days later, he rose again. And on the way, Isaac, not being a dummy, looks at his dad and says, Well, here's the wood. You got the fire. There's the knife. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to Isaac, God himself will supply a lamb for a sacrifice. And when they get on the mountaintop, of course, God says, Abraham, don't, don't do that. Of course, I'm not asking you to do that. And then they looked over, and there was a ram caught in, a, in the brush, and his horns were caught. And So they went and killed that and offered it to God. He says, Abraham was willing. And in Abraham's heart and mind, Isaac was already dead. Why? Because we don't possess anything. God possesses all things, but he gives them to us. He loans them to us for our use. And he says, you see faith was active in verse twenty two along with his works, and faith completed was completed by his works and the scriptures fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God because he would do anything God asked him to do or was willing to, and he was willing also to listen and I got a feeling that Abraham went, okay, good. That wasn't making any sense to me, but I get it now. You just were helping me to exercise faith. God gave him that opportunity, and he passed that opportunity. And in verse 24, so you see a person's justified by works and not faith alone. Faith is never alone. It always results in works. You cannot work enough to get to heaven, but you can believe enough to receive Christ, but when that happens it should automatically result in works. It begins to happen to you. You begin to care about other people. You begin to serve other people. You begin to do things for those around you. And obey, obedience to God, if God says get rid of a person or a thing, you just do it. You don't question it. When you know something's outside God's will, you let go of that, and you let it go. The last, the last illustration he gives is down in verse 20, 25. He says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Here is a woman, I I, I just read the same woman being used in a different illustration. In a different book, Rahab was a prostitute. There's no way to say it other than that. That's what she was, that's what she did. That's why she knew where to hide the guys. She knew how to hide them because she hid men from their wives and family for a living. And so she takes in those two spies and she says, y'all with those Israelite people out there, right? Y'all are Jews. And they said, yeah, that's us. And said, we've heard about you and we've heard about your God. And I want to believe that God. So come on in. I'll hide you. They won't find you and I'll make sure you get out of here. But I just need to ask one favor. When the destruction comes to this place, will you save me and my family? And they said, we'll save everybody that's in this apartment house when we get here. But here's what you need to do. Hang a red, a red cord, a red rope out of your window so we know which one is which. And she said, done. And that's what she did. By the way, Rahab is the grandmother of the grandfather of King David. And when you look in Jesus' genealogy, Rahab is in there. Because God didn't look at the hundreds, maybe thousands of times she acted as a prostitute. He looked at the one time she turned and said, I want to believe in that God. And they said, okay, here's what you do. And she did it. She didn't go, man, they're going to catch them. They're going to blame me. I better, I better sell them out. I'll, I'll still hang the cord out, but, you know, I'll tell them, hey, they went out this way. No, instead, she made sure they escaped. She trusted God. She did what God asked her to do. And here's the point for you. I talk about Abraham. You go, yeah, well, Abraham, man, God called him. He did all these great things. God took a prostitute, and the moment she believed God, her life changed, and everything was different for her. I don't know which end of that you associate with. Maybe, like me, you grew up in church, and you're just used to coming to church, and you read your Bible. You do all those things, but... You might not have that relationship with God. There's no urge in you to read your Bible. No urge in you to serve other people. no urge in you to talk about Jesus to other people. Why not? There's only a couple answers. One, One is you're lost. One is you're a disobedient Christian. Either one of those are bad. Both need to be repented of and turn to Christ. Or you're ignorant. Of what God has to say, and that doesn't hold water because He wrote it down for you. Look at that last verse. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That word is very strong. He's not just saying it's not breathing, he's saying it's rotting. It is nasty. And he says, when the spirit leaves the body, the body is now dead. He says, faith is like a body, and if it's not filled with the spirit of works, it's dead faith. It's demonic faith. It just stinks. It's of no use. It's pointless. You remember Gideon's army? He had thousands. God winnowed it down to 300 men. Why? They were the faithful believers. When we want the best, it's never a big crowd. It always comes down to a few. It comes down to a certain group. It comes down to not very many. And faith without works is a putrid faith. It's just nasty. Well, what can you do about that? Well, how have you shown faith in Jesus by acting like him in this past week? When somebody was hateful, you showed them love. When somebody was Down, you helped lift them up. When somebody was in need, you supplied that need. Somebody needed to hear about Christ, you spoke to them. Where have you acted like Jesus walking through this world? That was another reason I wanted to play that song, because I told you Rich Mullins lived out those teachings of Christ. He surrendered all that money and all that fame. He didn't actually even want fame. He wrote the number one Christian song uh, in the modern era, at least. The most popular Christian song in the modern era, and you've heard it. Our God is an awesome God. He wrote that. His brother said he'd probably be mad that anybody decided that was the favorite song of anybody because all he was trying to do was serve Jesus. He lived it out. He lived like Christ. Secondly, how have you acted out in faith this week by releasing your control and trusting God in obedience? Because God may ask you to do something. It might not be as drastic as sacrificing your son on an altar. But he's asking you to do something, that's going to cost you something. Remember David, there was a, God had brought a pestilence, and David was like, God, it was my sin, please quit this, and this angel is moving, and they could see where he was moving, and so they run, this guy's got a threshing floor, he said, and he runs to the owner, he says, hey, I need your threshing floor, I want a sacrifice to God right here, so God will stop the plague. And the guy says, you can have it. He said, I will not offer a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing, I will pay for it and he gave him the money, and he bought it, and then he sacrificed to God. What is our sacrifice? Do we have a costless faith? Are you willing to surrender every decision and your entire will to the will of God? Have you released the control of your own life to God? And then, this is just for you to meditate on. How is your faith alive? For just being a preacher, I've come up on some really bad emergencies in my life. I saw an 18-wheeler flip over in front of me, ran, got that guy out the front window, saw a car hit another car, hit the guardrail, flip up in the air, land upside down, flip back right side up, get hit by another car and spin out. Ran over, pull that guy out of the car. Been up on a burning car where a person died and another was severely burned. All that's just weird. That, that all happened to me. And I've been there when somebody breathed their last. At that point, no matter what I said, they're not going to respond. No matter what I did, they're not going to respond. I watched my mother breathe her last breath of this air. In this world. Her next breath was celestial air. Which is pretty exciting to know. How is your faith alive? Are you just a dead corpse? And when God speaks, you don't even hear him. When God says move, you don't even move. When there's nothing there, when God is acting around you. That's a serious question we ought to ask ourselves this week. How is my faith alive? We can read the Bible, and we should. We we can pray, and we should. We need to come to church. We should do all those things. We need to give. We need to do those things. But what is God asking you that seems crazy big and you're saying, "Eh, I'm not sure. You know God is there. I'm not saying just a thought went through your head. We all have those. But you know for sure God is calling you to something and you don't say yes. Father, in Jesus' name, in the quietness of this moment, Lord, this is not a comfortable text for me. Lord, it is so convicting. And I pray right now, Lord, that only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction. I can't do that. But Lord, we know that you use your word. We know you use the preaching of your word. So Lord, we we have asked that you would use these stutterings and stammerings of mine to do your will. And I, I just ask God that in my own life that they would take root and have meaning. But, Lord, I ask for those hearing me, whether it was online or here live, that today, right now, they would know their faith is alive, their faith is real. And if they don't know that, Lord, that today, more than just words, more than just praying, they commit themselves to not only trusting you, but obeying you. There's really no trust without obedience. We can say we trust, but until we act upon it, it is not trust at all. And so, Lord, as Rich Mullins said that song, get out of the boat before you say you can walk on water. You can't stay in the boat and say, oh, I know I could walk on water if I got out, but I'm not going to get out. No, you call us to jump over the side and see the salvation of our God. It's not very often that you do something that you don't involve us in acting and that your power doesn't come until we begin to act. Sometimes you will do that. We're grateful for those moments. But as believers, you asked us to obey. And every time we obey, you always show up and show off. And so we're asking you to do that again in every life here, every life that's heard. And I pray for those that don't know you, Lord, they'd open their life and say, take over. For those who do know you, Lord, you would bring that point of conviction that says right here. This is what I'm talking to you about right now. Because, Lord, we know (laughs) you'll never run out of things that we need to work on here. But today, Lord, we ask you to work in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I appreciate you coming, and it is good to see all of you live. Uh, It helps me tremendously, and uh, I appreciate you coming. We usually dismiss by rows, so the back row y'all can start, and just stand up, see people leaving, just don't crowd everybody. (laughs) I'm not as good as Pastor Todd telling you which row and all. Y'all just can go.